When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. So Frances Thompson was an enslaved woman who, after slavery ends, moves to Memphis. Unfortunately, Memphis is the site of some really horrific uh, race riots in 1866. And it's during these riots that Frances Thompson and another woman who um, she lived with were brutally attacked and gang raped. And they're among a number of Black women, a handful of Black women, who actually testify before a Senate committee about the violence, about their sexual assault. And there's this hugely important thing because it's something that did not happen during enslavement. Black women didn't have any rights to their own bodies. That was Dr. Kelly Nicole Gross talking about Frances Thompson, a Black woman who is pivotal in America's history, but has largely been forgotten. Dr. Gross, an historian at Emory University, is giving us a look today at Thompson and two other game-changing Black women who deserve to be better known. I'm Milan Revere, and this is Seneca's 100 Women to Hear. We are bringing you 100 of the world's most inspiring and history-making women you need to hear. Dr. Callie Gross is co-author of the book, A Black Women's History of the United States. In it, she and Dr. Dinah Ramey Berry tell the stories of important but overlooked Black women. The women she's going to highlight today lived across the span of American history from the 16th century to the 21st. Listen and learn from Dr. Callie Gross why these groundbreakers are among Seneca's 100 women to hear. We're speaking today to award-winning historian, professor, and author, Dr. Callie Gross. Welcome so much, Dr. Gross. Thank you so much for having me. It's an honor to be here. Well, we're delighted, and we're delighted to learn today about some of the amazing Black women who have been not as recognized as they should have been in history, and hopefully rectify that today uh, by speaking to you. But first, let's talk a little bit about your book, A Black Women's History of the United States. It came out in 2020, uh, was co-authored with Dr. Dinah Ramey Berry, and uh, we're eager to hear a little bit about it. Why did you write it? What was your goal? And tell us everything you'd like to tell us about it. And hopefully we'll all go out and buy it, too. <laughs> Thank you. Sure. Now, you know, Dinah and I were actually approached by an editor from Beacon Press because they had a series called Revisioning American History. Mm -hmm. But at the time that we were approached, we both felt that it was a really fortuitous meeting because we had been actually talking about the need for a newer historical monograph on Black women's history. There are some brilliant works that exist, but most of them were over 20 years old. And so part of our interest in joining the project was to 
write a sort of a survey of Black women's history in the U.S. that would meet the needs of today's readers. I mean, we both are really committed to using history as a way to speak to the present, right? What we study the past so that we learn, um, you know, uh, so we can chart a better course forward. And so we knew that we needed to turn back to this history and ask different kinds of questions, questions that weren't really um, considered 20 years ago, things around mass incarceration, things around gender and sexuality, and just a broader range of, of women in history, period. Now, you have many unsung, amazing women in your book. We want to talk about three of them today in the time we have. The first one is Isabel de la Vera, and we're going to go back to the late 16th and early 17th centuries to learn about her. Can you tell us about her? Absolutely. So Isabel de Overa was a woman of African descent who joined an expedition from um, Mexico. Uh, it was an expedition of Juan de Oñate. And basically, she petitioned the government to get um, paperwork to basically say that she was, in fact, a free woman. So she went to the courts to get documentation to confirm that she was free. Um, and we wanted to start with her because we thought about how brave it was for a, a Black woman in such an early time period, one, to be joining an expedition at all. Usually when we think about Black folks in the Americas, we usually go automatically to 1619. And so beginning with Isabel was really important because it showed, one, that there is this longer history of Black folks and, and being on what we now consider, you know, the continental U.S. Um, but also, too, that even then we see this incredible sort of spirit in this woman of African descent. You know, she wants to, you know, have the court give her this affidavit that says that she's free not bound by either marriage or slavery. And I think that there are parts of me that, you know, <laughs> I always smile when I hear that because it talks about these other issues that were impacting her as a, as a, as a Black woman, mm -hmm. right? You have enslavement on one hand, but also to these gender confines as well. Um, and in her final appeal, she sort of says that she demands justice. And that is just this powerful kind of rendering that I think really foreshadows so much of Black women's experiences in the U.S. Well, you mentioned how gutsy she was for her time. Where do you think she got that courage uh, to stand up for her rights? You know, it's a great question. I think that, you know, we know that there these issues around enslavement and bias were present um, in Mexico as well. And so she clearly had encountered some other forms of discrimination beforehand and, and, you know, must have come from a background where they cultivated this resistance to stand up and to, to be a voice against that and to still make a way for herself. Um, it's just incredible. And I think there's something in that that I personally saw over and over again in Black women's history individually and collectively, there are ways that Black women organize and train each other to um, to try to, I guess, you know, sort of cliche, but 
you know, live live their best lives in the face of some incredible and unthinkable obstacles. Well, it certainly is inspirational to hear about what she did. Seneca's 100 Women to Hear will be back after this short break. The next woman is Frances Thompson. Now, she was enslaved in Maryland in the 1800s. And hers is a fascinating story, too, of real courage. What did she do and why is she so important and included in your book? Oh, yeah. Thanks for this. This is a great question. Frances Thompson is one of these amazing figures in history. And I'm super excited um, to have been able to include her in in our book and also to learn that there are more folks doing more research uh, into her life now. And I think there are documentaries on the horizon. But to answer your question, so Frances Thompson, as you said, was an enslaved woman who, after uh, slavery ends, you know, moves to Memphis, which was kind of a boom town and tries to make her way in the city. Uh, Unfortunately, Memphis is the site of some really horrific uh, race riots in 1866. And it's during these riots that Frances Thompson and another woman who um, she lived with were brutally attacked and gang raped. Um, And they're among a number of Black women, a handful of Black women who actually testify before a Senate committee about the violence, about their sexual assault. And it's really one of these pivotal moments because Black women go on record to say that they did not consent. And it's this hugely important thing because it's something that did not happen during enslavement. Black women didn't have any rights to their own bodies. Mm. Um, And so that testimony, though, that is, you know, helps really sort of spark these calls for greater kinds of protections for African-Americans, particularly in the South after the Civil War, contributes to um, the implementation of federal troops going down to the South to help safeguard um, Black rights. And, and, you know, this is a period where the South is basically divided into five military districts. And this is where we see Black people actually being able to um, use the right to vote, they, you know, they actually is one of the times where we start to see black men actually um, winning offices. So it's this really incredible moment, but it's very short lived. And after that testimony, Frances Thompson kind of becomes a persona non grata. She gets persecuted by local law enforcement. Um, she's harassed, routinely stopped um and and you know arrested on all kinds of species charges everything from you know selling hoodoo bags to running a house of ill repute um and there are also these concerns about Frances Thompson's uh gender identity and so she was always able to sort of fend off these kinds of questions but in 1876 um, she actually is not able to avoid it. She's arrested again on suspicion of being a man in woman's clothing. She is subjected to a series of invasive investigations in which they conclude that Frances Thompson is not a woman, but actually a man. And then she is incarcerated, even though she maintains that she was of double sex. And we know that she had been living as a woman for at least 20 years. So she is imprisoned at that time. 
Um, they force her to wear men's clothing. Um, she's sort of out working public streets, kind of on a chain gang for a while and is subject to all kinds of vile insults and harassment. But she never loses her fight. When people ask her rude questions about her sex, she always tells them, you know, none of your damn business. And so they end up bringing her inside. She lives out her sentence. But, you know, that that kind of time is really debilitating. So when she is released later that year, she dies a few months after um, being released from prison. And it's interesting because after she's arrested and she serves that time, folks seize upon that arrest to discredit her earlier testimony. Mm. They say, see, these women were liars. They weren't raped. This is all, you know, know, an indication of sort of Black depravity. And so as it undermines those ideas, as I said, she gets arrested in 1876 and she dies that year, later in that year. Reconstruction basically dies the following year when there's this compromise after the election and they remove those troops from the South. And that's when we also start to see the rise of white supremacy and all those voting rights and other things that Black people had been actually exercising is quickly goes away under intimidation and all kinds of uh, voter suppression tactics. But Frances Thompson is just this powerful figure in that moment. So she really had two strikes against her in some people's eyes, being both Black and trans. And for those times, clearly what you described was pretty terrible of what she suffered. I can't imagine that society was very um, generous towards trans people at the time. No. Give us a sense, besides her imprisonment, what did she face every day? So first of all, I, I just want to agree with you, right? It was incredibly brave for her to to live as she did, particularly in that time, because, you know, depending on, you know, the response to her could be anything from just vicious brutality to being murdered to, a, you know, you know, more, you know, sexual assault. Um, all of the above, as well as imprisonment, which, as as we know, was you know could be tantamount to a death sentence itself, based on the kind of time that Black folks served in the South. So she faced incredible odds to to live um, her truth and to stand in that. And for for me, one of the reasons, I mean, for both of us, for both Diane and I, con- including her story was essential because it. We also wanted to demonstrate, too, that these issues around gender and sexuality are not new, that there are examples in history, and that we need to be expansive and embrace our history. And that was one of the key things that we definitely wanted to focus on in terms of thinking about Black women's history is an expansive kind of study that would meet the needs of our readers today. And did her her bravery in any way inspire others? You know, that I don't know the record. I don't have a lot. This is what's maddening about doing research on Black women in history because most folks were not in positions to leave behind like journals and memoirs and extensive letters. We don't have a good sense of a lot of their interiority and certain aspects of their um, experiences. So I don't know if she inspired a lot. I do know that she did have a community that embraced her. Mm. 
So she had a support network. Yeah, absolutely did. And so there there very well may have been other Black queer folks in that community also. Well, let's go to our final woman. We're now getting into the 20th century with Alice Coachman. Yes. And she was a history-making Olympic athlete. Tell us why you put her in the book. And why don't we hear more about her? You know, that's a great, I don't know why we don't hear more about Alice Coachman, because Alice is also awesome. She was the first Black woman to win an Olympic gold medal in the 40s. Um, and she does it for the the high jump. Alice Coachman grew up in, you know, in the rural South, just outside of Albany, Georgia. She's a middle child of a family who, like most working Black folks at that time, faced incredible hardships and poverty. I mean, she, you know, worked in fields alongside relatives at points to make ends meet. Um, But she also was always very athletic and loved running. And she actually faced resistance even from her own family about sort of running and doing exercise because it wasn't considered sort of ladylike. You know, her father had real concerns about, you know, having his young daughter running around sort of fields and, you know, basketball courts and this sort of thing. Um, But she had a real gift and a talent for it, and it gets recognized. um, And as she pursues her education, she also runs track, and it's clear that she has real talent and potential. Um, And so that, you know, she fought a lot of hurdles to actually go and compete in those Olympics. And she's one of the few folks to sort of bring home the top honor um, in that, you know, in the 1948. one of the things that is so amazing to me about her is that she talks about knowing that when she went to the Olympics, that she knew that she needed to do well. Mm. Because if she went and she failed or, you know, things went wrong, that that would be it. There wouldn't be any other chances for any other Black women to compete. And and for me, it just you know, so that was that just blows my mind too, because it's another example, and this is another trait that I've noticed throughout African American women's history. But I think she just phrased it so eloquently: is that there's this way that a lot of these figures in Black women's history have this incredible ability to understand kind of their own individual sort of destinies, but also they clearly see themselves connected to the overall struggle of their people. Yeah. And so they bear this enormous kind of weight and responsibility to succeed, to achieve, to push doors open so that more people can benefit and have these opportunities. Um, and so she was just incredible because after she stopped sort of competing, um, she still continues to work with and help train other folks in track and field. So she's just this amazing, inspiring kind of figure. And I also thought, given that the Olympics are going on now, she would just be a great person to recognize and honor in this moment. And how many more Black athletes, women, have followed her in terms of uh, their own achievements in athletics since her day? Exactly. I mean, countless other women. She she was an incredible model for so many women who are interested in sport during her own time period and long after. It's phenomenal. Yeah, you point out how difficult it is to be a trailblazer because you do have so much pressure on your shoulders to succeed. 
so the door won't close behind you for others. It's a lot of to consider of that heavy burden. Did, did segregation affect her at all? Did it affect her career at all? Oh, absolutely. I mean, well, you know, so here's what I'll say. Yeah, yes, absolutely. But also the thing that I'm so impressed by is that, you know, Alice Coachman and many of the women in this time period work really hard not to let it, to push past those barriers anyway. So absolutely segregation was a factor. It made her journey a lot more difficult, but it didn't stop her from getting to the Olympics. It didn't stop her from from winning and achieving. Um, and I think that is this other important kind of message too, is that there, the obstacles were there. She just worked really hard to surpass them and managed to do it in a way that would open up the doors for others. You know, it uh, seems to me we're all looking for hope and inspiration these days. Uh, and I wonder, given that you... Uh, wrote about these women in your book. What lessons overall do you think we can draw from their lives? Uh, because they were indeed amazing. I'm pretty blown away. You know, as I said, you know, I study African-American women's history and I learned so much and was just blown away by the incredible courage and bravery. Um, I'm, I'm in awe of their ability to maintain hope under the, the bleakest of circumstances. Uh, I definitely was in awe by the amount of perseverance that that Black women seem to draw on. But also, too, I think a real lesson or takeaway for me also is that they've organized, most of the time, Black women organized and worked really well collectively to overcome obstacles. And we see that a lot in African-American history um, and all kinds of individuals. So we all know big names like, you know, Harriet Tubman and Rosa Parks. But there are so many kind of everyday women who um, felt that these issues were important, issues around justice and democracy and freedom. And that's one of the, the takeaways for me that I think I admire about Black women's history is that they fought a lot of battles to to break down racial barriers, but you know most of the le- all of the legislation, everything that that these women worked to achieve, particularly around civil rights, that those goals are to make opportunities for everyone. So there's no law that's like this is you know we've changed this just to benefit black people. Like it's always to to benefit all groups that are marginalized all women, you know? And so that's the other, the takeaway for me is that they thought about justice and liberty in in this kind of holistic way also. That's beautiful. We have very little time left, I regret to say, but before we close, can you tell us a a little bit more about your book? How many of these uh, extraordinary women are profiled and how did you make your selections? Oh, well, so Dinah and I work incredibly hard, and I'm so sorry that she's not here today. Dinah and I work in- incredibly hard to be inclusive. We strategize. The book is about 10 chapters, and each chapter opens up with a vignette of a woman whose life um, kind of serves as a sort of entryway onto the era that the chapter discusses. And we 
picked all kinds of women, enslaved women, freed women, as you know, women like Frances Thompson, also, um, you know, children, women with disabilities, politicians, um, you name it, just the, the full spectrum, um, the gamut of women who were activists, artists, um, because we wanted to create a book that sort of any any Black woman or girl could pick it up and maybe kind of recognize or see themselves and their experience in it in some way. But we also wanted to write a book that would be easily consumed and accessible to all kinds of readers so that anybody who picks up this book can learn something about Black women's history, can learn something about American history, can learn something about these values of democracy and liberty, things we claim that we hold dear. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Gross. I wish we could spend more time with you, but we're so grateful for your putting a a spotlight on these three great women we spoke about today and for really teaching us a great deal about their achievements as Black women and for making us a lot smarter than we were when we started this conversation about Black women in history. Thank you so much for having me. And thank you for giving me the opportunity to teach about Black women's history. I really appreciate it. It was our pleasure. That was an amazing dose of history and inspiration. Here are three things I took from that conversation. First, Dr. Gross tells us that Black women who changed history knew that their achievements were connected to the struggles of all African Americans. They bore an enormous weight, the pressure to succeed, to push doors open for others. Second, we need to recognize that issues of gender and sexuality are not new to the 21st century. All we have to do is look at the story of Frances Thompson to see how constant these topics are. And by studying them, we can perhaps, hopefully, resolve them. Finally, the Black women groundbreakers had to maintain hope under the bleakest of circumstances and while facing huge challenges, says Dr. Gross. But they overcame obstacles by organizing and working collectively. Tune in next week to hear about our next featured woman, and discover why she's one of Seneca's 100 Women to Hear. Seneca's 100 Women to Hear is a collaboration between the Seneca Women Podcast Network and iHeartRadio with support from founding partner P&G. Have a great day.